in many ways, I think it really was a reset of sort of saying like, what is the people strategy? What are the organizational priorities? Because it's it's not just actually swapping in three big things and kind of mixing and matching. I think it's really in many ways a, a pretty massive reset. But the hard thing, of course, is that not everyone sees it that way. Um, how can you hopefully have the trust with your CEO to have that really honest conversation? And then, of course, in the end of the day, to have them actually advocate for your team, because that's the only way to really get the boundaries that you need. That was former Stitch Fix Chief People Officer, Jevin Sue, And I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. This is a first for the Redefining HR podcast. This is the recording from a live session that we held with Stitch Fix's former Chief People Officer, Jevin Sue, Dashlane Chief People Officer, Ciara Lacani, Eventbrite CHRO, David Hanrahan, and former Policy Genius CPO, Cindy Gordon. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, powering fast-growing companies like Shopify, Rubrik, and Sneak. Automate messages across the employee journey so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way. From onboarding to becoming a new manager and more, PIN helps companies communicate at scale. Go to pinhq.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. Reinvent communications for the distributed workforce. And now, on to the show. Really appreciate you all joining us for this interactive discussion. Um, dear CEO, what your HR leader, what you don't know about how your HR leader feels. Um, and I'm guessing the majority of you are sitting in HR and people roles right now. I know we have some business leaders who are learning is joining us as well, hoping to kind of learn from these CPOs on what it's been like to kind of walk in these shoes and how they need to be thinking about building uh, HR and people teams in this new era that we're in. So uh, my name is Lars Schmidt. I am the founder of Amplify and host of the Redefining HR podcast. Um, this particular event is actually the first um, live event under the new kind of Amplify banner, and it's a joint event with uh, People Tech Partners. So the genesis of this uh, conversation we're about to have actually started uh, within People Tech Partners. So People Tech Partners, for those uh, of you that aren't familiar, it's an incredible uh, tech incubator and the CPO um, kind of networking and community. Uh, primarily based out of the Bay, but with members, you know, all around the U.S. and even the world now. And we had a uh, an evening uh, discussion on burnout in HR, uh, and it was a lively discussion. I think this is something that uh, many of you who are in operator seats uh, have experienced, uh, are experiencing, or perhaps will experience. I think it's a topic of conversation that's definitely front of mind for uh, for all of you operators in the field right now. And so the conversation really started there. Uh, and really our aim was, it took a lot of different paths. And I think, you know, kind of where we landed is that this moment in time for HR is, is so unique because, you know, obviously the conversations around burnout and stress and just all the unique burdens on our roles um, have been, uh, you know, acute and sustained and, and just, uh, it, it's been a lot um, really since the early days of the pandemic. At the same time, we're also in this really unique position as a field where the, the, the importance, the value, and the visibility of our field has been elevated to a place that we've always felt it should be. But now it's seen, you know, it's central 
in so many aspects of, of how organizations are dealing with all of the things that we've been experiencing over the last 18 months. And then that's coupled with the fact that we're actually in this really unique space and time right now where we're creating new constructs for work itself. We have this real kind of once in a generation opportunity to redefine work, to redefine like where we work, how we work, when we work, how we're supported by our organizations and so much more. So there's this real kind of duality uh, in this moment that we're in. And so I'm really excited to be joined by uh, four incredible people executives who I admire. We're just going to talk through uh, a range of just all of the feelings and all the emotions. And particularly, we're going to be focusing on things that CEOs should know about leading and supporting and building people teams in this climate. So um, I want to open with a little bit of data before we get into the interactive discussion. So you know, I want to start here. This is a, a framework that you know I've been developing really over the last couple of years, but it took shape even more um, I think this year, when you look at the different key impact drivers for modern chief people officers, you know, back in the day, it was all about HR acumen, right? We, we need to know the functional areas of the field. And, you know, yes, you had to have, you know, compassion. Some of these other areas were, were important, but the, the scope was perhaps more limited than it is today. You know, now it's equally as important that you have business acumen. Uh, resiliency and grit are essential, especially right now. Uh, you know, compassion, adaptability, learning agility, so much is being thrown at us that we've never experienced before. And we've got to be able to, to adapt and keep pace with that. Um, you know, we've all heard the term, the great resignation. We're all probably feeling different aspects of that within our own organizations. Um, but it's very real and it's very real in our field, right? This is a, a graphic from Axios talking about the spike in, uh, in HR job postings um, compared with kind of the, the baseline all jobs. Um, and you can see it, there's a significant spike and it's continuing to climb. And I think for all of us in the field, you know, we're being hit up by recruiters all the time. We, you know, anecdotally, we have an idea of what the great uh, resignation is and how that impacts HR, but we haven't always had data around what does that really look like? So, you know, anecdotally, we're seeing it, we're feeling it, but how is it actually showing up? And so one of the things that we set out to do when we were talking about developing this live event is we wanted to actually get some of that data. We wanted to get a broad perspective from heads of people, CHROs and CPOs on uh, really what they've been, what their kind of views towards um, transitions have been over the last 18 months. And so, you know, this is the result of that, which is fascinating. I think if you kind of look through this, um, again, anecdotally, we all, we all know, you probably judge the market by the amount of, uh, you know, in-mails and emails you get from headhunters uh, about roles or looking through your LinkedIn feed. And it's like every other post is somebody celebrating a new job or somebody posting uh, a job in the organization. So we're seeing that, but this data to me, is really brings that reality home. You know, 47% of, of CPOs uh, who were in a job in January 2020 are no longer in that job. Um, many more have considered leaving. Uh, and, you know, almost 20% or only almost 20% actually uh, are in a job now and have no plans on looking, right? So, that is transformative for our industry. And I want to invite our panelists uh, out now to introduce themselves um, and also kind of get their interpretation on this data 
as we go a bit further. So um, Sierra, let's start with you. If you wouldn't mind, uh, just introduce yourself. And then if you wouldn't mind, share the, uh, you know, the initial reactions once you had a chance to look through the data. Thanks, Lars. Hi, everyone. I'm Sierra Lakani, and I'm currently the Chief People Officer at Dashlane, which is a password manager that helps businesses keep all of their security simple. It also facilitates your online shopping if you're an individual that doesn't want to type in your credit card. Um, but uh, my reaction when I saw this data as someone who's been in this field for 18 years now, and I'm at my third startup and did you know Fortune 50 in between, um, is that it's validating. And it's, it's not surprising to me. I think it has power and many people who have seen it on my LinkedIn feed have found it surprising. But to me, because um, I really like to be involved in communities of peers, it's not surprising because it reflects, you know, how we've all been feeling and what we've been experiencing. Yeah, thanks to them. Cindy, let me uh, turn that over to you next. Thanks, Lars. Um, I'm Cindy Gordon, and I'm currently an HR consultant and advisor. And before starting my own practice, I was a two-time head of people at two venture tech startups, um, one after the other, not at the same time. Um, my reaction to the data, again, not surprising, but I think it shows a lot of movement. And maybe if we had looked at it two years ago, we wouldn't see as much variety there. So it's kind of exciting. Um, and to Sarah's point, um, validating, I'm a part of the the 10% bucket of leaving for time off originally. Um, and I was a little shocked because I felt like um, it would have been um, a higher percentage to be quite honest. <laughs> um, but, maybe, but maybe it's um, when you you pull people and where they're at now, um, since it's a longer time frame. But I think um, it is pretty staggering to see the numbers and then the um, number of people who are looking to move either into other types of capacity or um, just to um, like look to see what's out there. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to take the, the lens of, of it can be an exciting time. There are a lot of opportunities out there and a lot of different ways to shape um, what we can do and flex our muscles. Yeah. And we're going to get into a lot of that over the course of this discussion. Um, but David, how about uh, you? I'd love to get your kind of introduction and, and thoughts uh, when you had a chance to see the results. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm David. I am the CHRO at a company called Eventbrite, which is an events uh, ticketing platform. And I've been there for, for almost two years. Um, so I, I saw this data and, um, you know, the thing that stood out to me was, you know, almost 50% uh, have left their job in the past 18 months. If you add up all those relevant buckets, I think it's like 47%. And I, it, it dawned on me that right before the pandemic, Corn uh, Ferry released this report of average tenure by C-suite member, and they showed the CHRO average tenure. This was January 2020, so right before the pandemic, was like 3.7 years, 3.3 um, in tech. Uh, but so, you know, this would this would suggest that um, you know the average tenure is, is dropping. Is more more analysis needed there? But I think that feels right to me that the average tenure for the CHROs is is dropping and dropped in the pandemic. I'm, I'm I've certainly taken jobs in the past where I, I get to the three-month mark and I'm like, I'm not going to survive. How am I going to do this? Um, so I think for many people, like even 18 months is like a lot to bite off. You know, it feels short, but you're in some of these jobs. It's like getting to 18 months is, is almost a victory in some cases, depending upon the, the organization you're in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I wonder if we we need to start kind of recalibrating expectations 
on tenure because, um, you know, again, my, in my world, I do HR executive search and other things, but I'll, you know, I'll work with some CEOs and they'll look at profiles and wonder why somebody has, you know, consistently been somewhere under four years. I'm like, that's the reality of this market. That's, that's how things are in this market now. So um, it's really interesting to see, uh, to just see how those expectations are starting to, uh, to shift and change. Okay, so Jevin, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and then uh, share your thoughts on the results. Hey everyone, I'm Jevin. I um, most recently was the Chief People and Culture Officer at Stitch Fix, uh, an apparel retailer um, based on uh, data science and human stylists. Uh, I'm in Cindy's bucket, so I finished up a couple months ago and I am catching my breath um, mostly and <laughs> trying to focus on that. And I think, um, you know, everyone's shared some great reflections so far on the data. I think my one of my reactions was also don't think of this as just the past 18 months, right? So there are folks who are about to look, there are folks who wanted to look and didn't yet. There are folks who looked, didn't find the thing. This is this is not sort of a moment in time. I, I actually think this is a bit of an inflection point for many of our peers and, and for a number of us, honestly. It's just how we think about what we need in the role and, and our lives to make this actually sustainable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jeff, and I'm actually, I want to come back to you and then I want to get Cindy's take on this as well, because as you both mentioned, you know, you're part of that 10% who stepped away um, from a CPO role for some time off. Walk me through that thought process. Like when did you, when did you know that was really what you needed to do? Because I imagine lots of people watching right now are, are, you know, maybe in that same situation and they're, you know, they don't know kind of what is, what is the manageable level of, of burnout or fatigue uh, or, or just, you know, kind of being at that limit, right? Where you just need a bit of a reset um, to come back. So if you could both share, and Jevin, I'll come to you first. What was that thought process like for you when you were kind of evaluating, should I do this? And then ultimately made the decision to, to, to pull the, you know, to step out um, and take some time off to yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, I like David. I think I, I always plunge into a new role, you know, very starry eyed. This could be an eight to 10 year job. I'm so excited about everything. And then, you know, three months in, maybe it's a four to five year thing. And <laughs> you got, the half life kind of keeps going. And not, I mean, I've, I've worked with great teams and great companies. And so it's not necessarily about the organization. It's just, it's a really hard job. And so probably for me, um, I'd probably, I think I reflect on a couple things. Um, and, you know, a set that are internal and a set that are external. Um, so on the external side, um, I think about, you know, sort of where the company is relative to sort of where I started and what I'm trying to contribute and the impact that I'm trying to have. And, and you're never really done, right? So it's not that you sort of, you know, at least I've never been done, um, but more do I feel like I've gotten things to a place um, that I feel really good about. And that is sort of a good jumping off point for potentially, you know, someone else to take it forward. Um, I think about, you know, my team, uh, and, and I think when I say that, I, I think about the team that I lead and also the team that I'm part of as an exec team and just sort of what are the dynamics there and, and, um, and how I'm feeling. And then I, and then I think I've become more aware of small signals for myself around, is this actually something that feels sustainably, um, an environment where I'm actually going to do my best work. And so, um, Recently, one of the things, uh, and I actually saw a few of my um, previous team members at Stitch Fix on here, so they can call me on it in chat if it's not incorrect. But um, you know, some of the feedback that I've gotten as a leader is um, in your 
framework, um, Lars, uh, around compassion is that, you know, I have a pretty deep well of empathy. And often when I'm in a, an organizational situation or a leadership sort of dynamic, I'll, I'll often sort of talk with the team around, here are the different things that are going on. I don't necessarily condone, or frankly, I don't condone maybe some of the behavior, some of the things that are showing up, but let's see sort of the full set of perspectives and where people are coming from. So we know what we're working with. And um, one of the things that I noticed in, you know, kind of the last six months um, was the well was dry. You know, I was sort of showing up super narrow, super reactive. And it was, you know, it's kind of like, wow, I'm getting kryptonited. And it's something that actually I've heard that is a superpower that is actually now kind of in the opposite place. And I think we all have tough moments. And when I was starting to see it emerge as a pattern and, felt like it wasn't just something I could take a vacation, you know, go for a run and so on. It was actually something a little bit more fundamental. Um, yeah, you know, I sort of said, again, you sort of circle back like, well, I'm not, if I'm actually not going to be the leader and the team member that this, this, you know, sort of organization needs for me, it's not good for any of us. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and Cindy, I'd love to get your perspective as well. Like what was that thought process like for you? Yeah. Jevin sounds a lot more um, uh, structured and um, thoughtful than mine. Um, I left my job uh, a little over a year ago. So I've had a lot of time to reflect. And um, what has been interesting is, um, and I think arguably we could all say this, uh, given the nature of the professions that we've chosen, but um, I'm a workaholic and um, I'm still suffering from, from burnout. And I've never fully felt um, this way before I think I was able to mask um, what I was doing and still show up for my team, for my company, and um, probably put myself last in my own needs. And um, prior to what Jevin mentioned earlier, looking at what happened prior to the 18 months um, and where we're at now is a series of events in my personal life that um, weighed down on me. And then my plan was to, as we entered 2020, to take some time off and then we couldn't um, do that. And our our jobs as heads of people became, they've always been a mile wide and a mile deep in expertise in every sub-function that we cover, but it turned into 10 miles wide and 10 miles deep and what we're managing and we're dealing with the weight of trauma-inducing things that were happening in the world when you think about ESG and um, it became um, too much and I couldn't couldn't show up for my team. And similarly, I think I was getting feedback that I was, uh, I had a short fuse or I raced to get to the answers quickly just to get things done. And um, I don't think I was uh, really living my best um, life as a ahead of people and um, it wasn't showing up for myself. And I think that was um, really important for me too, to realize that, uh, okay, I can try uh, to be everything, but uh, everything was, it was like a light knock on the door and then it turned into walls crumbling down. And that was something for me that was hard to admit and recognize. And I think I'm still struggling with that today. Um, and it's been over a year, you know, I don't have, I don't even know if I have any answers on how to deal with um, burnout and how to like, I, I think I'm more tuned now to understand the triggers and, um, and the signals to be more thoughtful about whatever is, is next for me. I might've gone off on a tangent, but um, it's, 
bit of my own experience and it still feels fairly haphazard to date. No, I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And again, I think with all of this, there's no, you know, everybody's going to be experiencing this on their own level and on their own terms and everybody's going to have their own kind of marker in terms of when they know it's time to, to take a step back or to do something different. Um, and, and David and Sarah, I want to get your perspective on, on this next question. Um, you know, obviously you're both in operator roles now, um, you know, global organizations have uh, been through a lot in the pandemic as we all have, like, how do you think about self-care? Uh, how do you think about kind of identifying maybe some of the uh, the warning signs of the the pressures and the stress where you know you need to do something, whatever that might be, to allow yourself to reset a little bit. And uh, and Sierra, I'll, I'll go to you first on that one. Well, I think like Cindy said, I, I'm not sure that I have this all figured out, but certainly it's been something that I've struggled with that has been a challenge. And I think that um, I have a lot of respect for the people who actually have stepped aside after experiencing burnout because I'm someone who definitely got really deep into it at my last job and did not step aside and probably to be completely honest, like fear of walking away from it or fear of not doing anything and just having unstructured time with all of my resentments and feelings is probably what held me back and I happened to find Dashlane where I was already a customer and the culture was very different from my last company. And I went there, um, but I experienced like, how do you try to heal burnout while you're still working in the same job, right? While a lot of things like when a manager does the same frustrating thing that you were already very frustrated about and you overreact to it, et cetera. Um, but I, I think that after four years at Dashlane now, um, I feel like I have worked through a lot of it and I'm really thankful to um, my current CEO um, and the past two, because I've had three bosses in the past 18 months, which was not relaxing, but we did it. And I think if they were not reasonable, respectful, understanding, um, I don't think that I would have been able to get through it. And for me, it's not only did you take time for yourself? Did you have a reasonable workload? But it's as much about what I've read in burnout about the resentments that build up because going on a vacation doesn't solve it for me or for a lot of other people from what I've read. It's just like, there are a lot of things that didn't go away that felt good. And how do you actually get enough of that resolved where you're not constantly reminded of it, where you're not showing up as Jevin and Cindy said, where you're in the meeting and you're being reactive and you, you know that that's not how you should be. And David, I'm curious to get your perspective on that as well. Um, how, do you, how do you think about kind of preserving your reserves um, and yourself as you're carrying just all the different um, pressures and stresses of the role today? Yeah, I think it's, uh, these are all really well said um, statements. And so one plus one to uh, what I'm hearing, nodding my head. And you know, there's uh, another aspect, which is just, you know, your, your mental health. I, I've certainly been in jobs before where I would just like wake up in the middle of night and I'm like, I've got so much on my mind that some random topic will, will, will wake me up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, and I will not sleep the rest of the night or I'll have a hard time getting back to sleep. Those are things that are sort of like, hey, this is kind of a mental health thing now. You know, like, I, do I have, am I getting help? Am I taking care of myself? Am I Am I using modern health for myself or spring health or whatever the benefit is? Am I, am I doing this? Um, you know, oftentimes HR teams, they don't take care of themselves. They focus on taking care of others and they don't, they don't take care of themselves. And similarly, probably CHROs find themselves in that mode of not taking care of themselves. And then um, another way I think about burnout is just there's the kind of things like that 
I know I don't care about, but we need to get done and execute on them. And there are the things that I care about. It actually gives me energy in my job. And suddenly I don't care about those things anymore. That's like, whoa, big, big warning sign because something is eating away at you. The things that give you energy that kind of like refill your cup and kind of what Jevin was alluding to. Those are the things that kind of keep you coming back each day. And if suddenly you don't care about those things and it's like, something's broken. I, maybe I do need to step away. You know, maybe I, maybe I need to re like find a way to get the help, the support. Maybe it's a key hire. I need, I need some resources because I'm being drained of all these other things that is like preventing me from caring about the things I usually, usually care about. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's so interesting. I think when you, when you look at the things, particularly over the last 18 months, and this was, you know, the scope uh, and expectations of, of HR and people ops was broadening before the pandemic. So let's, you know, kind of own that, but it's, it's just, it's jumped, you know, magnitudes since the pandemic. And um, uh, I have to credit uh, for this one, uh, 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 Patreon's chief people officer, Tiffany Stevens and uh, we were doing an event and she used the term uh, chief pandemic officer, you know, for CPO. And to me, it was just, it's so reflective of, of what I refer to now. It's like the department of plus one. It's like all of these new things that have come up have just been kind of pushed over to HR. So, you know, pandemic, HR is going to figure this out and drive this. Um, shifting to remote and hybrid and distributed, HR has got this. How to build culture in a distributed organization when you used to be co-located. HR has got this, uh, you know, social justice and consciousness and the conversations we're having now about equity in the workplace. HR has got this, uh, you know, it feels like all of these new things that are coming up. And, and in some ways, again, it goes back to that duality point. It's exciting because, again, our role is elevated. It's central where we're involved in executing on all of these things. Um, but on the other side, we're not always given the resources or the budgets that we need to do that effectively. It's just like, well, just add this to your plate. And that's what starts to feel overwhelming. And so, you know, I'd love to get uh, really all of your perspectives. And, and Jevin, I'll start with you. When, you. when you were in your operating role and all these new things were kind of being added to your plate, and I imagine most of the, the viewers and listeners uh, who are watching us are probably in a similar position, how can you... Um, how can you embrace the broadening of scope, um, but also make sure that you're advocating for yourself and your team for the resources you need to be able to execute that effectively? You know, it's, I think everything that you we've sort of been talking about in this thread is, is so spot on. And I think the additional challenge is, you know, I suspect everyone who's joining the call today took the role in a company that they're really excited about that was doing hard things already. So it's not even just other these you know these very very hard things got stacked on top. If the job was already hard, right? The the team was already overwhelmed, and so I think for me, um, as we were kind of going through the last eighteen months, in many ways it was it you, it was sort of a conversation with my leaders and then also um, with other executives, in particular with my CEO, to sort of say the Maslow's hierarchy that we had is completely off now. Right, like we got to start over. Like, what what is actually at the bottom of the pyramid? What do we have to go after? Like, we got to restack everything, and we got to rethink these tiers. And then I need you to help me be very explicit around where are the trade offs going to be, right? Because everyone wants all the things. Everyone wants all the things tomorrow, not yesterday. It, you know, there's a piece. There's a piece around capacity. In some cases, there's a piece around do we even have 
the right expertise around the table. So, you know, I think, um, you know, there have been all kinds of new roles that have been cropping up, I think, in relation to sort of these new challenges and these new programs that we need to sort of build, um, you know, advisory and experts and so on. And so it's almost in many ways, I think it really was a reset of sort of saying like, what is the people strategy? What are the organizational priorities? Because it's it's not just actually swapping in three big things and kind of mixing and matching. I think it's really in many ways a, a pretty massive reset. But the hard thing, of course, is that not everyone sees it that way. Um, I, you know, and so um, how can you hopefully have the trust with your CEO to have that really honest conversation and then of course in the end of the day to have them actually advocate for your team because that's the only way to really get the boundaries that you need hey everyone i'm excited to introduce you to the new amplify accelerator platform the amplify and redefining hr ecosystem have evolved quite a bit over the last two years starting with a podcast growing to a book and now leading to a full platform aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of chief people officers. You know, the mission of Amplify is accelerating innovation at scale. And we now do that through HR executive search services, cohort courses, communities, jobs, and media. That includes the podcast and the book. So you can check all of this out at AmplifyTalent.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, Gemma, that was an amazing answer. So I'm not going to force anybody to add on to that. Uh, Sierra, David, did either of you have anything you'd want to add on anything that uh, Jevin said as a foundation? I guess the only thing that comes to mind for me is that's one of the great challenges of our role. And I think it's something that the, the CEOs that we work with probably understand well, right? Especially in a scaling business, there's so much that you know you could do that you believe will make a positive impact, but it's some like level, you can't stay up 24 hours a day, seven days a week and do it, or you're not going to do anything well. So I feel like in a way, that's what we've always been practicing in scaling businesses. And when all of the pandemic stuff was suddenly thrown on top of it, and it was new, and there were no previous best practices to look to, uh, that took trying to, you know, practice that for ourselves to just a whole other level. Um, but what I've seen is like, you have to be in a good enough place yourself with what David was saying with your mental health to be able to like really work on, okay, where do I draw the line and how uh, do I prioritize and what do we actually need to do versus we don't necessarily need to do that and we should rest instead. And it's just something that's, that's really hard. There's a really um, interesting uh, uh, exchange going on in, in the chat here. Um, and to kind of sum it up, there's this there's this notion of like, should the chief people officer sometimes step aside um, for some random people or culture topic that's being debated? Um, but would that would that then signal that you know like you're you're not up to the task of this random thing? And I look at it a little bit differently, which is that sometimes in a, an exec team meeting, there's a discussion where we quickly go to we need a training for X Y Z, and they everyone looks at David. Um, and there's a conflation of, is this an HR thing or is this a leadership thing we're talking about? And so what are you really getting at? Something that we need to train our leaders on suddenly, like that I thought you're going to assign me homework in Q4 to do, like, what, what are we getting at? Something is missing that you, that you want to have happen. And then how can you do that? How can you take ownership of that? So there's a subtle sort of shifting of the conversation to, you're a competent leader, you know, you have the ability to change the culture of your team, change the competence of your team, the leadership, you know, the talent, the people, 
what would you propose doing on that? And sort of putting it back there so that you're not abdicating responsibility, you're engaging in a conversation, but like, what are we getting at here? What do you want to try and accomplish? What are you, what, what specifically are you saying? Because I think a lot of these things is just a conflation of like, this is an HR homework assignment suddenly versus no, this is a leadership discussion around. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because I think that does kind of, you know, go back to this idea of, of department of plus one, where there, there's certain, I think in a lot of ways that the field of HR can be, the function of HR, I should say, can be misunderstood by the executive team. It's like the the default is like, oh, this thing involves people, HR does it, uh, or HR should own it and they should run it. And that's that's not always the case. And so I want to kind of shift the conversation a bit more now towards um, things that we want uh, CEOs and boards and executive teams to know about kind of building and leading a, a people function now. And I'll have some specific questions here to get into for all of you, but I think you know, just to open up with maybe a statement, David, I'll, I'll come right back to you on this one. Uh, and this isn't, uh, by the way, I should qualify, none of this, uh, especially for David and Ciara, these are not statements to your own CEOs. These are just broadly speaking, as HR leaders, these are the things that CEOs generally um, should know. So what is one thing that CEOs should know about the people function that's often misunderstood from your perspectives? Um, and David, I'll start with you. Well, I, I think that the conflation of the HR and leadership thing I was talking about there um, is, is one. Um, but I think the, the idea of who owns the outcomes of people, whether we're talking about regretted attrition and engagement, you know, and, and like hitting our hiring goals, who owns those? And if I have a bunch of red check marks on my, on my dashboard there for those things, it, it, how did that happen? And should we say, oh, you got, we got to reorg the HR function because you're not hitting your goals? Well, hold on, time out a second. Who, who's accountable for building teams? It's kind of like, I'm, if I'm the CFO, I'm going to show you the financial metrics, but if they're really poor, is that my job? You know, that we weren't able to sell this quarter or we didn't have products that that sold. So I think that's misunderstood the idea of the metrics, like HR owns them. If there's something wrong there, then I, I have the wrong people in the HR job. Yeah, thanks for that. And um, Sarah, I'd love to get your perspective next. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what David said, and I would add one of the things that probably doesn't happen often enough, both from CEOs and from us as incumbents in the role leading the function is talking early on on like, what would we define success as for the people team? Uh, because sometimes it turns into a popularity contest. Sometimes it turns into somebody had an opinion that something should be more important, but you know your team thought that somebody else should something else should be prioritized above it. So, what's the way to do that that is respectful of the CEO's time and scope? Because it's hard for us to keep track of everything we do and think about. So we can't expect that a CEO is going to have full appreciation and full understanding for everything the team is doing because their scope is even broader, right? And they need to think about other things. But what's the time efficient way to agree on that um, and make sure there's enough alignment that when we're all in those challenging situations and things are moving really quickly, um, that you know there's not the whole, no, this shouldn't be my job. Yes, it should be kind of dynamic that, happens much more often than you would think with really smart, really metric driven, um, really high business acumen individuals, but it still happens. Yeah, that's that's such a great point. And I think that the that you know that comment on alignment um, you know certainly applies between the CPO and the CEO. I'd probably even loop in the other executives uh, in on that because I think you know you all have one of those weird jobs where like everybody has an opinion of what you should do. All of your executive peers feel like they know how HR should be run and the outcomes you should be producing. And um, and so if there isn't that 
kind of full alignment across the C-suite, um, you know, you, you may end up being in a position where like you're you're hitting the ball out of the park for what you and the CEO have agreed upon. Um, but maybe the CFO has a different set of expectations or the CMO has a different set of expectations. Um, and that wasn't discussed, especially kind of in the onboarding stage when you come into an organization. So uh, we'll talk about onboarding more in a minute, but I think that piece is really important to make sure that that alignment, um, you know, kind of goes across the entire uh, XCOM kind of peer set so that everybody's aligned on kind of what you're doing and what you're not doing. Um, Cindy, how about you? Thoughts on that? What what should CEOs know uh, about HR teams and people teams that they don't? I think our role is unique. And I don't know if this, this probably spans um, for the like existence of um, having a CHR or a CPO in, in their role, but our roles can be um, confusing to executives and to employees alike. We need to be able to switch hats or wear multiple hats at the same time. We might be the confidant or coach to the CEO, but um, we also report into the CEO and we're held accountable for business outcomes. And uh, we are a strategic business function on top of trying to help workplaces navigate humans and humans navigate workplaces. And um, there's a whole behavioral element to what we do and expecting something to shift overnight or expecting uh, a change to be easily comprehended and implemented when it might take a lot of um, change management and uh, task relevant maturity to understand that is something that I feel oftentimes goes amiss. And I'm seeing more of um, what's happening now where we have an an equal playing field um, as executives and running our functions. And uh, it, it doesn't remove the layers of complexity and trying to manage the human aspect, which is why everything gets um, swept our way the moment it has to do with something tricky or sticky um, or complex. Okay, the, the people team can handle that. And um, it does take a collective effort and um, equal ownership. So I'm like piling on to what Sarah and David have already said, but um, we have complex roles and um, it takes time and it takes resources. And that's what we need um, in order to um, get everything done now that the breadth of what we do has um, expanded and the nature of the industry and the talent um, pool has um, shifted to be um, more of a like candidates world right now. We, we, we need to understand that and shift our strategy to fit that model. And that's, that's unique. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and Jevin, bring us home. What, uh, what should CEOs know about uh, the people function that they often don't? Yeah, I, I, all the points that have made really deeply resonate for me. And I think they connect to me for, or into See, I don't think enough CEOs really understand actually what an amazing partnership with a chief people officer really looks like. And, you know, Beth's point around, it's not, you know, sort of cheerleading you and saying yes, and just executing on the thing. It's actually pushing back hard sometimes and really challenging you, particularly in typically things that you have a blind spot on that you're really uncomfortable about, right? Because that's the nature of actually doing the, the right work. And also I would say, you know, you know, I've had conversations with CEOs where it's kind of one of those softball questions, but not a softball question, right? You know, so if someone comes in and does an amazing job at this, you know, at this role in a year, what's changed? 
you know, and sometimes people will literally kind of rattle off the bullets of the job description. Well, exec comp is messy, so they'll fix exec comp and the, the HR tech stack needs to be a lot better and so on. And A, I'm, you know, my immediate reaction is, wow, this sounds like the most boring job ever. <laughs> and B is just sort of like, wow, what a shame. What a shame. You know, your people function is not ever going to unleash the value that it possibly could because that's how you think about it. Like just tick off some boxes, right? And so to for them to really understand, well, you know, to Cindy's point, if the people function is to be a strategic business function, then it means you and your chief people officer have to be joined at the hip. And you actually have a responsibility to do a couple of things. The first is the nature of our jobs means um, we don't we don't necessarily, if you're not deliberate, have as much interaction or exposure to all of the business decisions that are being made, right? And so it's what I found in my experience, the best CEOs are really, really deliberate about making sure their chief people officers are, are in those conversations or that they're sharing it very, very proactively. Hey, you need to know this is going on over here. That's the context for this, right? And so that we can actually integrate that into our work and also share it with our teams. The second thing I would say is, as a little bit of a callback to David's point, oh, you want an amazing, you want to be a best place to work. You want an amazing culture that everyone talks about. And I'm just supposed to deliver that in 18 months. How about you are a co-pilot in the creating that? You're the CEO of this company. People are going to talk a lot more about you on Glassdoor, <laughs> right? It, this is your company. You have a you have a responsibility to be a partner in that. And you know, I I look to you to actually have a really great point of view and a vision and perspective that, frankly, I'm going to push back on and have ideas and so on, right? But if you're just looking to me to fill the void, you know, no matter how how great I sort of show up, we've actually already lost the game because that is fundamentally part of the CEO's responsibility. That's such a great point. Um, And I think, you know, when you look at how leaders like that may think about being able to just kind of push off things like, you know, HR owns culture or HR owns diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, No, we don't. And and if that's your view as a CEO, I'm sorry, those are never going to be, you know, optimal functions within the business unless you're personally involved, invested in setting that tone for the entire leadership team. Let's help CEOs hire a bit more effectively. I think, uh, you know, as we know, we saw the numbers at the beginning of the session, lots of turnover in the field, uh, you know, almost half of the field, uh, you know, based on 280 responses, half of the heads of people uh, have left a role um, since January of last year. So lots of companies are hiring right now. I don't need to tell you all this. You're getting the emails and the emails and the calls. Um, what do you want to know? I'm curious, like, you know, most job descriptions are terrible. Um, that applies to all jobs, uh, but certainly even executive roles. Um, when you think about evaluating opportunities, how can CEOs, and I know they're not the ones writing the job descriptions, but when they're hiring a CPO on their team, how can they write a job description that will be compelling and meaningful for you? What information do you want to see up front that you're often not seeing up front that will help you better evaluate how you align or don't um, with that role. And David, I'm going to come to you first uh, on that. Again, with a disclaimer, this doesn't mean that anybody is looking for jobs. I'm just looking for uh, ex, ex, uh, perspectives and ideas on like what would make a compelling job description for CPOs today. I think, um, you know, what does a CEO envision for success for this role, right? So I'm hiring this role. I got board feedback. There's a reason why I'm hiring for this you know, if, this, if the person is wildly successful in, in X years, what does that look like to the CEO? Five to seven sentences. 
And what's on that CEO's mind could be something like that's really out there, or it could be like just really table stakes. It's kind of like it gives you a little bit better, you know, insight in terms versus the the you know responsibilities and all that sort of stuff. So a vision of success for the person. Um, Cindy, how about you? Um, I'm a plus one to what David said. I'm going to look at how it's um, valued at the organization, and a few factors that might feed into that is. Um, why are you looking for to fill this role now? Give me some context. Is it, it will look very different if it's a backfill role, if it's um, a late stage company that's looking to fill their first time head of people role, or if it's an early stage. So um, have some context there. And I, I'm looking for transparency and um, a level of honesty that uh, might say, hey, we didn't get it right. And now we're looking. I'd, I'd rather hear that than some some pitch on um, why it, it didn't work out that has zero level of introspection um, and um, what it could look like ahead. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, I, I like to talk to um, the CEO if there is somebody else that is being tasked to fill the role. Um, that already signals to me the level of importance that it might have and the um, the level of touch point and exposure that I'll have to the CEO. If it's an exec search firm, then that's my advice to exec search firm if you're on this call. Um, and then another piece is, um, is compensation. Um, and I am not driven by money, but I the work that we do is really important and we're seeing that in the market now. And I'm, I'm, relieved to see that we're starting to see um, things equalize a bit relative to other executives in the space. And I'll be looking at that too as a signal on the level of importance in the role to the organization um, and ability to trust me and the experience and skills that I bring to the table um, through, I don't know, like conversations about what they're looking for in the role. That's like to tack on to what um, David said earlier. But those are things I'll, I, I'd be looking for in order to um, engage. And I'll also look at the, the bench of, of talent on the exec team. Um, so I'll, I'll want to know more about the decisions that are, are made there and then like governing structure and decision making. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I appreciate the response. I'm glad you mentioned comp. But we're going to come back to that um, after this question, because I do want to get into some more specifics around that. Um, but Sierra, how about you? Uh, what, what do CEOs and, and you know organizations need to be including in the job descriptions um, when hiring CPOs today? Yeah, so I think there was a lot that was already said, and like what I would add to that because I completely agree with what David and Cindy said is um, make it your own. So I would also say that to any search professionals who are helping. Like, of course, you know a CEO is busy and they are going to ask you for what does a job description usually look like. But I think for a lot of us whether we're advising our friends or we look at it ourselves, we're trying to identify which part did the CEO edit and how can we read into their personality. Um, But a lot of it is just like really boilerplate that we don't need because we hire people for people functions. So I would say like be more authentic. And even if you're hiring a first time leader of the people function and you don't know completely what all those things are, it's okay to show that, right? I think that's better than you meet and speak with someone who has very detailed bullet points 
that came through, you know, a search professional saying this is what other companies have used and that person doesn't like even feel connected or know what some of those processes really are. Um, so yeah, being more authentic. And uh, Jeb, anything else you'd want to add? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going through all the things that I want to ask that clearly people wouldn't put in a JD, even if you, you know, <laughs> tried to force them to. But I think one of the things I look for really early on is um, is a sense of sort of what the genre of sort of work is. Um, and I think it's typically a build. There's nothing really there. Build it, build it all. There is something there. It's in pretty bad shape. It's basically a rebuild. <laughs> Or there's actually a lot there that's pretty decent, but this is, you know, kind of like a next chapter up-leveling transformative kind of thing, right? And, and like none of those are, you know, have sort of relative worth. They're just really different. And they're really different in terms of the energy they ask from you and sort of how you need to show up. And frankly, I think the, the strengths of the right leader that would match to them. And it's often like I have to like dig, dig, dig and like three conversations in. I'm like, I think this is really what it is. Which honestly, I think, I think honestly, sometimes people like they're kind of like hiding the ball a little bit. They're worried that you'll react, and so on. It's like you're anyone good is going to figure out what this is, right? You should just tell us up front so we know, and then you'll get the right person who's excited to do it. You know, um, the other thing at Sarah's point really resonated with me for me is like how do you sort of move through the opaqueness of clearly edited <laughs> stuff from other people, and, and it's just kind of interesting because I think now that the you know, the demand for this function and leaders in this function has risen so dramatically, you know, I would love, frankly, I would love to see CEOs raise their game and how they think about attraction, right? So if you think, if you just sort of take a, take a page from everything we've been doing in technical recruiting for the last, you know, sort of decade, do a 30 second loom video, just like pitch me, tell me who you are, tell me what the company, tell me, you know, pitch me on the company, tell me about what you're excited about and so on, right? And that, I think, you know, that's what we're all doing in the first five minutes with the CEO. It's just sort of imprinting on who are they? What's the vibe? What's the chemistry? What do they care about? Um, and then I think, you know, that um, you'll get faster to the match that you actually want. One additional thing to add on when it comes to a job spec, I rarely, maybe this is bad, um, like read, it's kind of like a resume. I rarely read through it with a fine tooth comb, but I notice the bad ones <laughs> that like you want to avoid. And so um, I, I don't think you need to spend a shit ton of time um, writing um, this beautifully like scripted job spec um, that, but you need enough to make the hook. And that's where authenticity comes into play. The, the bad ones are like flashing lights um, where, you know, you're not even going to engage. And look, let's be real. The bar is very low on job descriptions. You don't have to be that creative or innovative. Like to Jevin's point, you could, a uh, 30 second loom video takes you 30 seconds, maybe a few extra minutes to think about what you want to say, but it's not a heavy lift and it makes a big difference for people to both self-select in or out. So um, definitely make some, don't, don't, you know, sleep on the job description. I think you want to make sure you're investing time in there. Um, speaking of time, we're winding down. Uh, I do want to kind of jump on comp uh, really quickly because I want to get each of your perspectives on just how CEOs should be thinking about CPO comp. And I'll take this wherever you want. If you want to take it to a range, great. If you want to take it to a philosophical approach, great. Uh, you know, for me, I think the, what I generally advise CEOs is you really have to be thinking about if you're bringing in a CHRO, a CPO, somebody at that C-suite level, and you're not paying them on par with their C-suite counterparts, you're not, you're not pricing this job correctly. 
because that's the big question. It's not necessarily even that it's a set X dollar amount, but if you, if, you know, the, obviously all of you are going to have access to all the data. Um, and if you go into a new role and you found that all your executive peers are making a chunk of money above you, that is not a great onboarding situation. So um, I want to just open this up free form. Anybody who has thoughts on how to frame, uh, how CEOs should be thinking about executive compensation for CPOs specifically? Pay them the most. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find any objections on this uh, uh, this gathering to that uh, that comment. So, other thoughts how how we should be thinking about or how should CEOs should be thinking about executive comp? I think the CHRO and CFO are like maybe one of two or three of the executive team members who get to see all the comp. So, um, you know, CHRO sits alongside the other GNA um, executives, and so to have any big disparity there is is kind of eyebrow raising. Like. I would not really have a, a great disparity there um, absent any significant experience difference. So I'd be thinking about that cohort first of how am I paying the CHRO alongside the CFO, general counsel, um, you know, the, the GNA executives. Anybody else have anything you'd like to add? I mean, I would say that in, in most of scaling companies now, especially if you're not doing it yet, when you bring on a chief people officer, you'll be looking at, pay equity or fairness right across the the board and looking at that by different protected characteristics and if you look at your executive team and you look at the predominance of women as well in the top hr role and then you look at the makeup of the prominence of people in most of the other roles so i think that's something that also needs to be um, thought of and like certainly i'm pragmatic and i would not you know demand i need to be paid the same exact thing as the men that I work with in different functions, um, but we do see that the market data is catching up, right? And every year when we see the executive um, pay studies, we see that it's getting closer and closer in this function. And then with so many roles being open, as you showed in the graph in the first place, that's only driving the salary growth up more. So I think that sometimes CEOs talk to a lot of people and say, okay, when you hired your first head of people, what did it cost? And somebody says, well, I hired someone who was a recruiting director and somebody else says, I hired someone who did this three times, like that's a very different market rates. So there's a lot of variation out there, but as usual, like listen to your candidates' expectations and then calibrate that against how you're already paying others in the organization and make sure that it's, it's fair and it's equitable. That's such a great point. And, uh, and I'm, I just want to express gratitude to all of you for sharing your own experience, stories, being vulnerable and real around your own experiences in this. I do want to end on a high note. Uh, as I mentioned early on, the duality of this moment, yes, it's been challenged. Yes, burnout is rampant. But yes, we have this amazing opportunity ahead of us to, to really transform the field itself. And so rapid fire, I want to hit each of you with this. Um, in one sentence, what gives you hope and optimism about the future of the field? And uh, Jevin, I'm going to kick off with you. I think we as a function and as leaders have more, you know, sort of permission to say exactly what we want and to say no, and to just be super direct and unapologetic about it, because this is what we need to succeed and, and to do good work. And, uh, and I think people are going to have to just deal with it. <laughs> Sierra, how about you? I think it's really the people who are in this function, right? And especially after the past 18 months and everything that we've been through, you see like, even if some people need to take a break or switch to something else, like we are people who are undeterred for fighting for a better workplace experience for everybody who's there, a better future of work to redefine work as, as you said, Lars, and as you've been doing so much work on. Um, and so if none of this can stop us, 
then that gives me a lot of hope for what we can handle. Um, and it's nice to see that everything that we do handle is starting to be a bit more recognized and, and appreciated. And how about you, Cindy? I think what the other said is um, spot on. We have a, a platform now in support to do what we um, we want to do in our roles. And it's the time to ask for, for what we need and be unapologetic about it. And I'm excited to see um, some creativity and what um, offshoots might happen from uh, this new new world of um, looking at our, our function and our roles as uh, being industry leaders. And David, take us home. Yeah, plus one to all that. And, and just, you know, last thing to add is I'm just coincidentally seeing a lot of posts from CEOs and VC people saying, hey, uh, from experience, my biggest recommendation is hire a great head of people early on. So it seems like there's something changing there because I didn't see those types of posts, you know, five years ago. So that gives me hope. Cool. Well, uh, all of you, thanks so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom. All of you uh, spending some time with us live and uh, lighting up that chat room. Thanks so much for sharing your own experiences and wisdom. And uh, that's a wrap for today. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Lars. Thanks, Lars. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.